Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. In the world of mental health, peer support workers are an integral part of our community. With over 24 years experience, Gabriel Villick is a well-respected leader in the mental health sector, working across a range of government and government sectors, with her current role being the Director for Social Inclusion and Recovery for the Metro South Addiction and Mental Health Services. In advocating for peer support, she has developed the Living Experience Workforce to over 50 positions in the last four years. Tune into episode eight as we chat with Gabrielle about what it means to be a support worker and her experience working peer-to-peer to help those in need. And with me today, I have Gabrielle Villick. Uh, welcome, Gabrielle. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming onto the show and, and having a chat with me. I appreciate your time. And wow, when I was doing the research uh, on on your history and uh and the involvement and the things you've already achieved uh, so far in, in your relatively, um, I mean, 24 years uh, experience in, in the industry with mental health, you've done a lot uh, and achieved a lot. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this this morning. Uh, and thanks very much. Tell me where it's where do we where does it start? So for you, was it, was it high school? You did a gap year, or you did a you did a, you finished off high school over in Michigan, USA? Is that correct? Yes, yeah, so um, midway through year 11, I um, left and as an exchange student to Michigan and spent 12 months there. So then I had to come back um, midway into year 11 again to finish because uh-huh. the, um, the year 12 in America didn't count um, in our education system. So I had to come back to, yeah, to year 11. Yeah, wow. And you, you went to school in Brisbane? No, I'm right. from Melbourne, so Melbourne. Okay. I went to um, a girls' school in Melbourne, Star of the Sea. Yeah. And, uh, yes. Excellent. And you were, were you class captain? Yes, that that's right. Yes, I was class captain each year. I was a very competitive person. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Those times at school uh, often reflect uh, on some of the best times in, in most people's life, don't yes, they? Yes, absolutely. The, uh, so from there you went into fashion, is that correct? That's correct, yep. So I was... Um, The school was disrupted because all my friends were in year 12. I came back. I actually became a bit depressed and was offered, we had to, at the end of year 11, do work experience. So um, I was offered um, to do some work experience with a well-known fashion designer in Melbourne, a a sportswear designer that used to dress a lot of the famous tennis um, competitors. And um, I went and did the um, work experience with him and then he offered me a, a apprenticeship in design. 
Wow. So your passion early on was for design? Still is. Yes. It still is. <laughs> well, there you go. Are you doing any? Are you doing stuff with the design at the moment? Are you doing anything? No, I, I did um, a couple of years ago because I then went on to later on become a jewellery designer. Um, I had a national business and um, I yeah, did, did a, a range and went back to sell a range to a, someone I used to deal with and um, just... I just, I don't know, I, I ended up giving all the jewellery away to friends because I just felt it was a bit self-serving after what I've done in mental health. Yeah. Um, so, but now I need to do something more creative, get the sewing machine out again. So you still have the sparks. Yeah, absolutely, there. yeah. And, and so how did you uh, get into mental health? Uh, was, um, I understand from a lived experience point of view, but mm-hmm. do, you, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so... Um, when I came back from America, as I said, I was sort of um, fell into this depression really in the second half of year 11. And my friend said she found this thing called sick bay. So I used to go to sick bay. Um, I was, you know, going up the street and, you know, I went to a girl's school convent and drinking Coca-Cola without my blazer on. And uh, <laughs> I was sort of reported to be up there. So they took my captaincy off me. Uh-huh. Um, and my marks, you know, sort of always was a high achiever, got A's and B's, dropped, yes. you know, I think a D minus and D's because I just couldn't concentrate. So that was sort of the... And that's in year 11, midway yeah. through year 11. Yeah, so yeah. it's starting to, you know, sort of come through. And then um, the the next three years were, were good, and um, I was um, I got married, and I was uh, offered a um, job with um, Jag and uh, clothing company, yeah. and I became their top salesperson and wow. sales manager in Australia. So I was offered a job um, at Marina Mirage. The shop wasn't going very well. Yes, and um, it was then I went into sort of a hypermania, which I'd never experienced before. And they woke up in that I was ringing through the figures at two in the morning and one in the morning, keeping the shop open. Um, and then the managers came up from Melbourne and suggested um, I see a doctor and have some drug testing. Some of my behaviour was mimicking that of, you know, maybe speed or amphetamines. So I went to a, um, I saw my GP and he said to me, no, he said, um, you don't have a drug problem but I think you might have this thing called bipolar. Wow. And it was quite a relief because over the years I'd had, you know, not, but mainly depression with some hypermania. I never had a manic episode as such. So put me on medication. I researched all about bipolar, was doing the right things. And then um, I became pregnant with my son and then within um, just, so I was off medication and uh, for 12 months I stopped breastfeeding him and then I started to go into this, um, as our speaker was saying earlier today, um, you know, lots of thoughts, lots yeah. of ideas, couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. So from April through to July, mm-hmm. I didn't sleep. Wow. I used to go to bed, I would pretend I was asleep, I would get up and just because of my racing thoughts, I used to design all night, you know, I was making collages, I'd hide them under the couch, I'd get back into bed and pretend I was asleep. Wow. And I just didn't know what was going on. Um, Anyway, so I became unwell um, and my um, stepfather, who'd been a uh, psychiatric nurse many years before, 
um, sort of intervened and um, I ended up in the hospital, the Gold Coast Psychiatric Ward for six weeks. And um, yeah, and you know, that, that was it. Um, and then many, late, many years later, I would go, I'd go on to work for that yeah. where I was treated. Yeah. There was a fortunate meeting while you were in there. Was it with Tracy? Yes, uh, that's right. From uh, Arafimi? Arafimi. Arafimi? Yeah. Yeah, so the Association of Relatives and Friends of Mental Illness. That's it. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, tell me, how did that change your course? Because I'm, I'm, I mean, I've read about it, but I want, I want you to talk about it. If you... Yeah, so um, Tracy used to come in uh, every week into the wards. And they had a great um, rehab program and she was part of the program and she'd had schizophrenia. And um, she used to talk about being well for 10 years and I used to think, oh, I was in awe of Tracy, you know, if I could just be like Tracy, if I could just be well for a month or a year. <laughs> so um, anyway, they invited me into a um, program called Young Arathme, which was a great organisation on the Gold Coast which supported people, younger people with mental illness and you'd go along and meet up every week um, and it was from there that, that they had a schools education program and suggested I go along to schools education program become a volunteer and talk about you know my experiences to a class in the classroom so yes yeah, she was a huge and I always talk about Tracy yes. because that's what really resonated with me that she was a peer and the importance of sharing your story to inspire others because because you, you could relate Yes. And, the, and it was on down to earth, on your level. That's right. And it resonated with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so then you went into uh, and you helped develop uh, or introduce the program of the Mental Illness Education Program into secondary schools in Queensland. Yes. And is that where you said that was life-changing? Yes. Uh, and was it your boss? Yes. Yeah, I had a, um, a great boss, um, John Lester. And he had a, um, a, a wife with schizophrenia, so he was very, um, very, very understanding, empathetic, um, and instilled a lot of confidence with him. I remember doing, I had to do, it was very early on in the program, maybe a month, and I had to do a uh, presentation at Somerset College in this huge auditorium. And there were about 400 students, wow. and he never showed up. You know, and he was meant to be there with me. And he said, no, I did that because you're completely capable. You just needed the confidence and you don't need me there. You know, yeah, so and if he told you he wasn't going to be there, you probably, you probably wouldn't have gone. That's right. And he did show up at the end. You know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and we had great training and, um, yeah, it wow. was an excellent program. And um, so it's having those people that have yeah. that, you know, instill that confidence and that hope, you know, that you can do it. Yeah, so so that then uh, got you keen. Is that when you started studying um, social sciences? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so that got you, that propelled you into the tertiary education, and that's yes. where you under, underwent your bachelor. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then you, were you the branch coordinator of the mental health association? association? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how was the time there? Was it were you doing that whilst you were studying? Was it something that was after? no? I did the um, studying while I was with. Um, mental illness education and I was actually involved with mental illness education for 14 years oh, okay. um, as part of a committee member um, I wrote their one of their strategic plans so they were always a big part of my, my work and then um, mental mental health association um, where it was a great time in my life 
um, in that I sort of got into that role and they'd moved a number of times the organisation and when I got there, like the phone never rang, there was nothing. And I said to my boss at the time, another great boss, Keith Williams, I said, Keith, what do I do? He goes, you just do what you want, Gab, just, just get it going. <laughs> so I started up all the um, support groups. So we had, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, OCD, eating disorders, anxiety. So we'd have a consumer and then a professional running the groups. Were these separate sessions for each of the yes. challenges? Yes, yeah, so, you know, that some of them still continue today. Yes. Um, and they're sort of a night time to encourage people to come. And then I used to have a um, monthly guest speaker and we'd get, you know, 70, sort of fill the house, 70 people, um, and really got it um, going as an organisation. But that was, I, I met a lot of people who now, some of them work for me, who were quite unwell that I encouraged, you know, got them involved with our committees, got them involved mm. with our support groups. Um, and have watched them flourish. So it was a great learning ground, a great place, and people could just drop in and felt comfortable. That was a good organisation. And do you feel like that giving them that sense of purpose and and, and giving back uh, and helping others, do you think that was helpful in regards to them trying to overcome what they were going through? Mm. I, I can share this story because um, we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, one of my peer workers, Lou, who um, worked on the Gold Coast with me for a long time, he used to ring me because we were a referral service um, and with his plan of intent to take his life, his marriage had broken down and uh, we were based upstairs and uh, apparently he used to come along, wait outside but wouldn't come up to the bipolar support group. And uh, eventually one day I made a deal and said, I'll meet you, we'll have a coffee and then I will bring you up to the group. He now facilitates the group. Wow. He's a, you know, one of my best peer support workers and he's, a, he's amazing. Um, yeah, so I've, I've got him too yeah. now working so, at Logan. But um, So it's those people, um, you know, that... Is, and is that what keeps driving you to do what you do, is to see those challenges being overcome and seeing the changes in people? Mm, absolutely. We you know in Metro South we've got three community care units and we've got where people can stay for a long period of time. Um, and we've got one gentleman that was um, a, a resident there who's now come back and is working for us as a peer support worker. And we put him through his cert for in peer work. So they're the things, yeah. you know, to see. And I think everyone has, if they're given the opportunities, yes. could do it. But not everyone's fortunate enough to be in that position. And how, how common is it that they come back and work in the same sector, like, is that really rare, or is it something you're seeing more and more common amongst people to the peer workers coming through? Because we know that's certainly a growth um, part of the workforce with mental health. Uh, is it something you see that's going to continue to grow? And and do you think that a lot of these um, people with lived experience coming back in to help others? Is that what you? Yeah, I see. Like um, in Metro South, when I started in my role. We had seven peer workers and we now have 63. Wow. And that's in the last um, six or five years we've developed that. So, uh, and you know, that we're doing a lot of research and people see the benefits. And it's around that hope, it's around that mentoring mm. um, people. Every week, you know, I get um, the peers send me, you know, bits and quotes from, from consumers that say, you know, I'd love to do what you do. You know, how, how can I? 
do that, you know. Yeah. And I think also, particularly working in mental health, particularly when I worked in the school's education program, is that you're presenting, you know, um, in front of a classroom and you need to be well, yeah. you know. So it's not a bad pressure. It's yeah. around, you know, doing all the things to, to maintain wellness. And it's the same with working in mental health. You know, I, I sit at a table with psychiatrists and directors and, you know, so it sort of keeps you in check. Um, around your wellness and your self-care. You have been a a big advocate of having a consumer influence into the planning of services. Mm -hmm. Um, And you did some consulting for Gold Coast uh, Hospital, Mm -hmm. mental health service there. Uh, Has uh, getting the the consumers uh, and the carers' participation and influence in that, where, where, where did that vision and passion come from was it i mean what because you went after it and and it's something that you've been really quite mm. uh, persevering with um and it's, and it's done really great things as a result but i mean how, tell me about that about that oh it came from some negative experiences that's yeah. where it came from and i didn't you know in my time in the gold coast hospital had some unfortunate experiences and I think that was the thing that led me, and I thought that um, I don't want people to have those experiences, and I'm not here with an axe to grind about services or about staff, but um, I'm there to change it to make it better for, yeah. for people. You know? And at the centre of that, you believe that consumers and carers uh, should be uh, having a, certainly having a voice and having some input in that. Absolutely, because we, we bring a new set of eyes, a different um, perspective, you know, and many times I sit in meetings and, you know, sort of sitting there thinking completely differently, coming from a, you know, person-centred, not that we don't, you know, it's sort of everyday business, you know, sort of looking after people and supporting people, but it's having those eyes and it's not around, you know, I had a... T- talk earlier today saying that, you know, we need a third of the workforce to be consumer carer, peer workforce, lived experience. Um, you know, I can't put one person at a table. You know, I was talking about a, a new um, committee that we're, we're setting up. I was talking to Peggy Brown and that she's put forth that we have, you know, out of, I, don't, I suppose, the meetings well, committees about 12 people, three of which are consumers and carers mm. because you need that voice at the table. Yeah. You can't have one you know, one person driving that. And in our two community care units, we've gone to an integrated model of which we've got 60% is the peer workforce. So, of course, it's going to change the culture, but that can't happen just by having one person at the table or one person involved with design. You know, you need a good proportion of the workforce to to drive that. Because I can't represent all opinions of consumers. My experience is very different, so that's where you need... that's where I have a lot of part-time workforce with different experiences, you know, whether it be, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, self-harm, whatever, you know, you want that variety to bring that different perspective. And, and growing the, your <clears throat> peer workers to, to 63 that you mentioned, are you still learning stuff uh, from them and you, uh, with your job and the stuff that you're doing day to day? Is there still a lot that you're learning uh, in the industry and what you're, what you're up to? 
Absolutely. Um, I held a statewide forum last year and I think we had 97 peer workers throughout the state. Wow. And the day before, we had like 37 consumer and carer consultants, which are the more senior roles. So the growth is enormous. And um, they're a very young workforce. They're mm. very educated workforce, this new workforce we've got, got coming through. And they ask different questions, you know. Um, they, they ask about sharing your story. They ask about boundaries, um, whereas they're not the questions we used to have. So it, it's working with this workforce, which is quite different, um, and instilling, you know, around sharing your story. And mm-hmm. my concerns is that we could be losing that as, as the workforce grows. So it's just trying to maintain that authenticity. So, yeah, I'm always learning. And one of the challenges you see with this growing portion of the mental health workforce uh, is you, you fear the retention of, of them or do you feel, what's the biggest challenge you feel at the moment when dealing with this peer workforce? So um, I'll take it back to work again. When we employed the large peer, the majority large peer workforce within our community care units, mm-hmm. um, the which I had a few sleepless nights, was about people doing a 24-7 shift, yeah. how are people going to, you know, manage their medications and um, their sleep hygiene. But in actual fact, that wasn't the issue, you know, uh, which, which is interesting. So some things that I've predicted aren't the issue. Uh, my concerns is not within the retention, not within our sector anyway, within mm. health, because we remunerate people well. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, where I work, we, we offer group supervision, supervision with a consumer or carer consultant, and then they receive professional supervision. We provide training. Um, yeah, so, but my concerns is around the professionalisation of the workforce and maintaining the authenticity, which I think as the numbers grow, it's very easy to, to lose that. And where I'm talking about that is, um, for example, we've had in the past people, whether it be studying psychology or social work, and leaning more towards that, yeah. not wearing the peer hat. And eventually they will go to work with that, and that's fine. But while you're in the peer role, mm-hmm. that you need to be comfortable, that's what you're employed for, yeah. around sharing your story and giving people hope. And it's not just giving people hope, it's giving staff hope. Yeah. You know, when they work alongside people, you know, when you work in the acute services, it's, you lose that hope often that people can get well. Yeah. No, it's so, it's so important to to have that uh, influence. And I know you've been a champion of bringing that voice to um, a number of different uh, roles and, and consulting jobs that you've done. With the uh, the relationship between physical and mental health, you're a big believer of that. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that experience, or tell me about how uh, how strongly you believe that relationship exists. Yeah, so I'd always been um, fairly fit. I used to um, swim and and compete in swimming, particularly in America. So it always been with me. And um, when when I um, left hospital, I was very, very low weight Mm -hmm. um, and actually put on um, 42 kilos in three months through, through, you know, medication. So I thought... You know, and I, you know, we were starting out, we were new, didn't have a lot of money, but I thought the thing, what I did was uh, engage with a dietitian, joined the um, the, uh, the club out at uh, Sanctuary Cove yeah. and got fit again. Okay. And lost the weight, got the diet back on track. 
Um, so it always resonated with me, the link, you know, I'd done a lot of research and studied around, around mental health. So um, even now, you know, I do, um, I do a, lot, a lot of yoga, sort of four, at least four sessions a week. Um, I've been doing that for 16 years. I do Pilates and um, my husband's just got me into road biking. Um, so we're doing that um, and, you know, walk every morning. Um, so, you know, it increases your endorphins. It makes you feel good. And when I have a day, which is really rare on the weekend, if I say, no, I don't want to do yoga today, that's a sign that things aren't going so well. Okay. You know, if I wag, it's <laughs> not good, you know. Yeah. So um, for me and for, for most people, I see yeah. the correlation. And, you know, um, it's easy to put on, um, you know, weight with medications. And, I mean, if you're, you know, cycling or doing whatever, um, makes you feel good, keeps you pretty fit. Mm. Um, and, you know, as you know, you know, if I, I was talking to our executive director yesterday and I said, if I miss a walk, which is really rare, my day is just not the same. Yeah. I'm just not as clear. Yes. you know thinking so i think that and that's always been the real tool i think in my wellness or yeah. one of them of many is is the exercise is really important yeah I mean, it's uh it sounds like um i mean you've had a lot of experience obviously with mental health and especially with the consumer care side of things and, and you've already achieved a lot where do you think uh what do you think lies ahead where where do you think you're headed i mean you wouldn't have guessed you're in you're doing what you're doing now i guess if, when you left school but uh, do you know have you got any any certain passion or drive towards doing more mm -hmm. within what you're doing already or doing something different what, what, what's the future hold? yeah when i worked at mental health association we used to work with a um, employment group called on track and um, it's Alec Morgan, who used to be the CEO, I remember him. And he said to me, Gab, you know, I used to do a lot of recruitment with us when we were obviously, you know, employing staff. And he said, you should only stay in a job five years. Time to move on. You lose your skills. And I'm thinking, I've just been, I'm in this job in November in six years. And I do, I love to develop things. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's time for someone else to come in. Um, so we, we've got some new developments at Metro South, but um, I'm now um, the deputy chair on the um, Queensland Mental Health Advisory Committee. Yes. Um, so that's a nice new challenge for me. So, yeah, I, I like to stay in health um, because yep. I think this is the pointy end. It's, it's acute um, and it's a place where you can hopefully make some change. So... I'm also working with a, um, which sits under me, as the ex executive sponsor of Plain Tree, which is a person-centred care program. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, maybe even moving into the physical health yes. um, and bringing in the mental health, um, I think there's, you know, some future in that. Um, you know, it's sometimes time for people to step forth and <laughs> take on some of the things that I do, but I'll still work in health. Yeah, well, I've got, I've got no no doubt that whatever you uh, sink your teeth into next, uh, whether it's further into what you're already doing, which you're doing an amazing job at, or something, uh, you know, an evolution of that, uh, I'm sure that you're going to be highly successful at it. If uh, who who would you be? A, who do you think has had the biggest influence upon you uh, in your life? 
ones but today? Probably several. Okay, well, so, give me yeah. the top three-ish. Yeah, so um, professionally would be uh, bosses that I've worked with, probably yeah. um, John from Mental Illness Education was yes. a huge influence. Um, also, I, I worked with a, um, a lady at Gold Coast Mental Health who's still there, Hazel, who was a, a big influence in my life and sort of together her and I came up with some, you know, opportunities for funding to employ peer support. Mm -hmm. um, so she was a, a really good advocate. And um, probably the executive directors I've worked with um, have all been a big influence. And then I was thinking about personally, the, probably the biggest influence in my life was my stepfather who um, had been over 30 years in AA and used to uh, mentor and um, support um, many people in AA that, you know, would come over. We always had people over for dinner. He had, you know, at least two people mum would be cooking for. He had the meetings in the house? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then um, he used to chair two of the biggest meetings in Melbourne, so I used to go to many meetings and get lectures about alcohol and AA and... <laughs> But um, and what I think that then, was roughly around. Oh no, like that's from early or? age. Yeah, so oh. twelve oh, okay. onwards. You know, he picked me up for a party <laughs> and <laughs> gave me a lecture in the car about alcohol. And, <laughs> uh, but I think that's where the peer really resonated with me. Yeah. You know, he was very Scottish. You know, from Glasgow yep. and tough upbringing and sort of similar to Jimmy Barnes's background. And uh, yes. yeah, so I think that he was a great teacher to me and taught me a lot. And did you ever think that um, a mental health or mental ill health uh, would be something that you would go through? Uh, obviously, you were diagnosed quite young, mm. but uh, is, is it something that you thought it would ever be you? Or do you, is it something that, um, well, tell me, was it, was it something you never thought it could, it could touch you or you never even thought about it at all? Yeah, well, when I grew up, it wasn't something like it is now, you not know. Spoken, they, yeah, not spoken. And, you know, certainly when I was in America and started to have bits of depression and bits yeah. of... I thought, oh, well, this is just life. It's nothing I didn't ever think I'd work for. I did, unfortunately, lost my best friend to um, suicide when I was 20. And, uh, you know, I remember visiting and seeing her and there were lots of signs. You know, yeah. she was living out of a suitcase, refused to unpack it at her parents' place. And, you know, then thought, you know, there's a lot I could have done, you know, mm -hmm. and she had the same diagnosis as me, but just mm -hmm. didn't manage it very well. Um, and that that was sort of when I thought I'd be interested. You know, I was always interested in psychology. Yes. Um, that was something that interested me, but um, not ever. It, you know, certainly I was very competitive. You know, I was um, expected a lot from myself, high achiever, and, you know, they can be, that, that's sort of the personality that can develop anxiety and depression and but I didn't think of it you know yeah. isn't something was there over the over your 24 odd years that you've been uh in the in the in the sector is there something that you used to have a strong belief on but recently have changed your mind on something is there have you, can you think of anything that may have been something you yeah this was a hard question um I think the work I'm doing with Plain Tree around person-centred care, um, I, in all the training I've done, it's been it's always difficult to engage people around 
mental health training, sharing mm. your story. Not so much now, but previously was. Whereas when you align it with physical health, which we've been doing, that's the way we're doing our training now, um, part of it in Metro South, is that people understand it better. So when I'm saying oh, I've had bad experience in, in, you know, in a hospital, whatever, mental health, people can't relate to that. If you say, okay, think of an experience. I had one recently or a couple of years ago where I had to see my auntie in, in palliative care, rushed down to see her and, you know, bought her all this watermelon and fruit. And the nurse was so rude, said, you can't store it. I said, but when I rang up, he said, I could. You know, so we use those sort of examples and people say, oh, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if someone was nasty to my son or whether they're in mental health or physical health, so I think that's been a big lesson to me. And also that sometimes there's more stigma and people don't realise in when dealing with physical health, you know, like cancer. There's a huge stigma that, that you know, you ran to mortality. Um, and I experienced that, you know, I was diagnosed with um, stage four melanoma, I was very ill, and people used to walk across the street, you know, that I worked with, and, and later on said, we didn't know what to say to you. And I had, I think, more stigma with that mm -hmm. than with my other diagnosis. Wow. So, you know, I think that's, we need to link those two, that the brain is part of the rest of our body, you know, it's, it's no different. And also I probably used to think too, um, which has changed my view, that um, being in, um, that, that around hospital centric, it's all about, you know, people should come to hospital, um, that's the best place. And I don't have that thinking anymore. I don't think it works. I don't mm. think we need to turn it on its head and we should be around early intervention and prevention. And if I'd had those things, I would mm. never have ended up in hospital, but I wouldn't be here today either. So Yeah. No. I think it's always, it's interesting to find that because there's one thing that's hard to do. It's to have the courage to change beliefs about some things, especially as things evolve. Mm. Uh, and no doubt in your time, you've seen a few changes in the industry. Mm. Tell me, do you think we're progressing? Do you think it's going fast enough? Uh, suicide rates are obviously... Uh, not coming down, but tell me, do you think we're on the right track, uh, but do you think we're going too slowly? What, what, where are your thoughts on where we're currently at with mental health? Yeah, um, a couple of months ago we organised, I think it was six Bunnings to come into one of our hospitals to do a whole planting project and Taubman's and did this tremendous work. Oh. And one of, the, uh, one of them said to me, and I was down, you know, sort of, I love gardening, so I was in the pot planting something, and he said to me, so what's changed in the last, you know, over 20 years that you've been in mental health? And I'm glad I had my head down at the time because I was a bit stunned, mm -hmm. actually. And I looked around quickly and thought, well, courtyards aren't any different. The wards aren't any different. So I was a bit stumped, and I said, well, actually, I said, Five years ago or even ten years ago, you wouldn't have come into the woods because of the stigma. Yeah. And I said, and here you are today. Yeah. You've got these guys painting, yeah. planting them. You know, you're showing them how to water the plants, you know, mm. for when you're not there. I said, so that's the biggest change is the community understanding, the community acceptance. Yeah. But um, I was at the National Mental Health Forum um, in Brisbane this week and sitting at a table, it was a consumer forum, around a vision for 20, 
30 and how we change things. And it's society. We need to change society in order to change what's happening. You know, and I was in Hawaii recently and, I've, and you know, everything's, the pace is slow, the people are friendly, the service is great, everyone's nice. You come back to Australia and it's, you know, and sometimes I think it's maybe financially, you know, that Australia's expensive, housing's expensive, renting is expensive and people are stressed, mm. you know, having to work two jobs. Um, and, you know, I think this will, suicide rates, mental health is just going to continue to escalate and let, until we look at our society and how we can make it better. Um, and I think we need more early intervention programs, more prevention and community programs. We need to tip it and pour the money into community to stop people coming in. Who wants to go to hospital? Mm. Who wants to come into our wards? No. So if that leads us into our next question then, if, if you had the resources to do what you wanted to do with mental health to improve it, to, uh, to fix it or tip it on its head, what, what, where would you start? What would you do, do you think? Have you got any ideas on that? So I'd um, certainly look at the funding in the community. Um, I'd look at our emergency departments and what we can best do to them. And there's certainly there's going to be a great program starting up on the Gold Coast shortly around crisis intervention and people coming to a place that is outside of emergency. Um, there's also money going to be or funding coming in around um, cafes where people are sort of referred to the cafes where they met with peers, you know, and then determined whether they need to go into the emergency department. So that needs to change that, that thinking. Um, we need education in schools. Um, we need education to um, young mothers and support to young mothers. So I think it starts very early on and working all the way through. Um, we need uh, acceptance in the workplace and, you know, here today hearing great things of what's happening in, in workplaces. Um, and how to manage mental health. and But, you know, the, the stigma's also there, you know. Um, I have problems sharing my story at times in fear of the, the stigma. That could be my own internal stigma. Yeah. So I think we've just got to rethink it. What we are doing is, is, is not working. We're, we're just getting more and more presentations to emergency departments. Um, and, yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's putting a big curriculum into um, into schools around self-care, around mental health, managing your mental health, you know, managing this modern society, you know, looking after yourself. Are there still, uh, there's some good programs out there that are in the secondary primary education systems that are doing mm -hmm. this at the moment? Yes. Yes. And that's different to the one that you helped set up and execute? Yeah, so certainly there's information provided in schools, but the one yeah. um, we used to present was we would have a consumer and carer presenting the program, yeah. present all about the illnesses, how to maintain wellness, and then use our own stories. You know, and I often thought, oh, if I could have only heard that in year 11 at my school, someone yeah. presenting, and I might go, oh, I've got all those symptoms. Mm. Um, and we get so many... Um, Children, you know, or adolescents come into us at the end of the, you know, um, and we'd provide information seeking help and we'd link them up with the school's nurse and, and so on. So, yeah, I think that's it. But the, the effectiveness is that you've got a consumer and carer at the front of the classroom sharing their stories, which are very real. And, you know, we used to 
particularly go into schools before schoolies um, and, you know, um, yeah, get a, a, a lot of interest, you know, yeah. with our stories. Yeah. yeah. So it was powerful. And if, uh, if you could go back and tell your 20-year-old something, some sort of advice, what, what do you think you would say? Yeah, so it's pretty hard to tell a 20-year-old. I know I've got a 26-year-old yeah. son. It's hard oh, to tell him anything. I can only <laughs> lead by example. But, um, yeah, I was always in a, um, a, a thing that I had to do all this before I was 54. I don't know why 54. Um, I had to cram everything into to life. So I did that, but it didn't get me anywhere. You know, I was very um, impatient. I wanted to experience as much as I could um, and... You know, I, my stepfather in America used to say to me, Gab, you're going to fall between two chairs, you know, and I knew it, this often was people would tell me and I didn't know what they meant. So I would um, slow down and I wish there was yoga around then because I could have, um, I, would, I would have loved to have taught yoga and I could have done yoga and just had more self-care. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and just to take approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, to be less impatient. And, and and to uh, other people out there, or young peer workers, or consumers, carers, is there any sort of, uh, sort of advice that you would uh, you encourage them to, to take the same sort of attitude to life with the holistic approach to get outside, make sure you get to sleep, or all, all the factors that you think um, help support wellness? Is that is that the sort of advice you would give to? Other people. Yeah, and I, th I think a, a big one too is um, managing your stress, yeah. which are, you know, this work-life balance and, and um, particularly in the beginnings of this job, I didn't um, do so well you know, yeah. and started to become, you know, I wasn't well for a period and, you know, I thought, oh, you know, yeah, I'll be well forever. I'm doing all the right things, you know, it'll never come back to bite me. But um, it's just, yeah making sure you use those tools all the time. And it's also around having people around you, good supports. Um, and I have a team and I said, you know, when, when I started working with this team and I used to previously do as well, I give you permission to tap me on the shoulder or for me to tap you on the shoulder when things aren't going so well. And one of my team members, Teresa, I, I never wear all black. I've got this thing that it's a bit depressing for me. And, and she came to work and she said, Gab, the last two days you've been in all black. She said, is there something going on? I said, actually, my dog's been really sick oh, and I'm a bit wow. down, you know. And um, so, you know, it's. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, often I'll say, you know, I don't get depression like I used to. I would say to my husband, oh, I've been a bit depressed for last week. He goes, no, Gab, five weeks. Wow. So, you know, having those people that understand your, yeah. your, your symptoms, I think is really important as well. And, and tell me a bit more about support work. So, so the, your support circle, uh, your husband, your son, uh, your close friends, how important is that to you and uh, moving forward to keep, keep on and but also in managing what you're going through as well? Yeah, so certainly, um, you know, my probably best supporter is my husband who, who knows me very well um, and, you know, and we've heard, you know, in this conference around people masking, you know, and uh, even I'm good at that. We're all, we're all good at that. Um, but it's having those, those people. Um, I've got some um, people, uh, two peers I meet up with from the Gold Coast that um, 
every couple of months we meet for breakfast. Um, they've been very good to me. I've been good to them. They used to come to mental health associations. So, you know, it's 20 years of friendship and um, we know each other very well, you know, if things aren't um, going so well. So I, I've got that. Um, I see a psychiatrist sort of every two to three months. I always have. Um, and, and I think that's great, you know, they give you a good sense of reasoning. Um, and I used to, I, I started up the bipolar support group. I used to facilitate that years ago and go for, I did that for a long time. Um, but I, I don't go now, but uh, that was Lou, my peer work has taken that over. Um, and then it's having um, people at work as well, you know, that, mm -hmm. um, and I do, I've got a good trusting um, team. And this is how stigmatised I am. I've got one of my workers here with me who's only worked with me for the last 18 months or so. And um, she said, oh, you know, what stream are you speaking? And I said, oh, I'll be on three, you know. And she said, oh, can I come to that stream? I said, no, no, I think it's better you go to the other streams. And she said, why? I said, because I'm going to be very honest. I'm in a group with peers and I talk about some of my experiences. And because uh, she doesn't really know much about my experiences, I don't know, I just haven't been comfortable. So yeah. that's my self-stigma again. So it's um, having those those people at work that um, understand and, you know, being honest with your boss, mm. you know. Um, Encouraging that communication yeah, and that awareness. Absolutely. So, you know, they know if things are a bit off. Um, yeah, but and, and the family supports. Yeah. Yeah. And your friends, you know, yeah. that, that understand. A bit of, uh, who is Gabrielle? You you like the beach. Uh, you're a surf lifesaver, is that correct? That's you correct. still patrol? I'm on long service leave. Oh, uh, okay. So In surf lifesaving, <laughs> after 10 years, you get long service leave. Oh, you really do? Yeah. Oh, wow. There you go. So, you've <laughs> so I just that right. do the very yeah. occasional, yes. You're an Airbnb host. That's right. Uh, you enjoy coffee, smoothies, juices. Mm hmm. Yoga, yeah, I've made um, juices meditation. for the last um, 17 years because when I had melanoma, I went on this natural juicing. Yeah. So we've just continued with those every single day. Unless I'm away, we have the juice. Is a certain juice diet you're following? Uh, no, no, we just um, make them up. So, you know, there'll okay. be a mixture, ginger, lemon, beetroot, berries, you know, every day different ones. Is this instead of food or as well as? No, as well as, okay. yeah, yeah. So you have fresh juice yep. every meal or just? Every morning. Every morning. Yeah. First My day. husband makes them now. He's much better than me. Uh, there you go. And you mix up the combos? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. They're always different. Yep. Good on you. Uh, I think, I mean, you've had, well, you've already, you won all these statewide awards. Uh, you've been on the Mental Health, Queensland Mental Health Commission. Uh, as a consumer representative, you've uh, you've helped introduce the mental illness education program to schools. You're an advocate uh, and consulting, doing a lot of work with consumer and carers into mental health services. Um, and I guess in in reviewing everything, you've you've spoken with your same speaker for ten years, two thousand six to two thousand sixteen. Uh, you've been speaking for them at, at their various meetings, is mm -hmm. that correct? Yep. It is uh, admirable with the stuff that you've already done and I think we need more people like you out there uh, having the courage to um, not, not just speak up and share their experiences but also to 
uh, you know, to stay in the sector and, and help those with similar challenges. And for that, I couldn't imagine um, the courage that must take and the vulnerability that you put yourself in to, to go through that. So uh, I just want to thank you for your service and your contribution to mental health. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So thanks very much. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.